Okay, introducing our newest sponsor, Swim Tracks. Swim Tracks is the smartest swim specific tracker ever. It registers a ton of swim data that is translated into valuable real time insights. It tracks the three most important data points for coaches and swimmers time, heart rate, and stroke rate. You and your swimmers can now, from just one device, make sure you're training in the correct energy zones with the correct number of strokes. Visit swimtracks.com and schedule your free demo today. That's swimtracks, T R A X X.com, swimtracks.com. All right, I think we're good to go. Craig Beardsley, how you doing, man? I'm good. Uh, nice to be here. Thanks for having me here, Brett. Yeah, I appreciate it. Now, listen, uh, I love recording history. And, uh, man, you're a big part of history, big, big part of U.S. history, swimming history, big part of uh, world history in that sense. I mean, you were a former world record holder, um, you know, international swimming swimmer of the year, I guess, for a period of time there. Like, you were the, you were the hot thing back in the 80s, man. Well, yeah, that's obviously a long time ago. <laughs> that's all right. We're all getting older. Don't worry about it. It was, um, yeah, you know what? I, I, I was, it's, I, when you talk about history, and you know, I might just kind of ramble off and go into yeah. tangents if that's okay. But, you know, I mean, um, one of the things that I think that um, why I still pop up here and there is because I was part of a historic event. We can talk about it, right. which was the 1980, you know, Olympic boycott. I think, you know, if I had, possibly had made the tea, you know, gone there and whatever, you know, no one would be talking about it anymore, but it is a historic event. And it's something that's part of my, my, my history, my swimming background. And, you know, I, you know, we all accept it for what it's worth. Yeah. Well, I want to get into all that, you know, there's so much to talk about. And uh, I, I guess, I guess we'll just start with kind of where it started for you. You grew up in New York, right? And um, from what I read, you went to uh, you went to a school called the United Nations International School. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in Manhattan. Okay. And, uh, my mother is was Chinese from Shanghai. My dad was from there, but I have a Danish okay. background. My his side was all Danish. But uh, yeah, yeah. We had my 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 grandfather was consul general from China in Seattle. Mm. We had political connections and that kind of. We got into the United Nations School, Eunice, and I went there, attended school from first through eighth grade, and it was a fascinating experience, you know, uh, just we were exposed to every other culture pretty mm. much in the world as a kid, and it kind of really, you know, opened my eyes to, to, to seeing what was really out there. That's amazing, yeah, and you played the cello, you were pretty good at the cello, is that right? I, I was, <laughs> not really anymore. but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that was part of just growing up. My, both my parents were very musically inclined. My mom was a concert pianist, taught piano in our home till the week she passed away many years later. My dad was in the music industry. So uh, we were surrounded by music on a daily basis. And, you know, I, I feel music and you probably know this as well, being the great swimmer that you were and coach, that music has a big part uh, mm -hmm. in athletics. Yeah. So much about, about music is about feeling and flow and rhythm, and they're all interconnected. 
Well, I'll tell you what, I, uh, I have one son and uh, his, his name is Kobe. I actually named him after Kobe Bryant. So I was expecting to have this incredible athletic son, you know, like you all dream of this, this kid who's going to take over. And he is, he's all music, man. He's just all music from the moment, you know, he was four years old. He asked for a violin and I was like, you don't want a violin. He played that violin for like six years. And then he, then he picked up electric guitar and now, now he's a musician. So I don't know. Sometimes you just, uh, you, you go with what you got and, uh, and I'm loving, I'm loving the fact that he's a musician, but yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome. It's very cool. And and you know what, for me, and I think there are many athletes that are like this, you know, you try to juggle a lot when you're a kid, right? Whether you realize it or not, or your parents might have you doing a bunch of different things. But, uh, you know, um, with me, I was playing cello seriously mm. and I was committed to a lot of different, you know, like a chamber music, quartet and orchestra, symphony and everything. Plus I was trying to swim and you reach a, a point where you just can't, do it all right yeah. it's not possible so um you just have to make choices and for me uh as, as a, a teenager um you know i i came to that critical junction and i had to make a choice whether um i would pursue you know a career or or a different path in music or swimming and uh for for me you know um I was having a lot of success in swimming more so than that than in, in playing the cello, but, but I also realized that swimming, I had a finite period to, to really do what I wanted to do just physically, you know, mm. especially being a, an amateur back then in college. And whereas music, you know, I would have that the rest of my life. Mm. And I could always pick it up and pursue it later on to some extent. So, so yeah, I reached that point where I really had to kind of back away from cello and from music just so I could focus um, on my swimming. How much of, of your of your family background played a part in your dedication to swimming? Was it all driven by you or was some of it driven by your, your parents in any respect? Like how, how hard did they have to get you to go to practice when you were a teenager? Oh, uh, <laughs> you know, probably I was blessed with just great parents i think you know not everyone has that situation right and my parents always supported me in a very kind of uh just subtle they never really pushed me too much mm. uh, when i when i was uh yeah when i was a kid I, I just felt like um you know we all play different sports as well and i was naturally i think you know gifted at swimming so i had success in that so i tended to just want to pursue that. I was a, you know, really shy kid growing up really? and, you know, we'd moved to New Jersey from New York, you know, we joined the local town pool, which is kind of why I picked up swimming, not because I wanted to be a swimmer, but I just didn't know any kids in my town. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I joined the swim team just to make friends and neither one of my parents were really big swimmers. My dad could swim a few laps and, you know, the cool thing is we actually have some Danish history in my family. My great-grandfather was a ship engineer and his, uh, uh, Richard von Don and his ship was torpedoed. And he basically carried two people on his back for four hours in the North Sea and saved them. And he was awarded like, a, the, you know, a Medal of Honor from the, 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 the King of Denmark. And so mm. there is some swimming background on my Danish side. But with my, my mom, I mean, she struggled to make a 25, you know, she never figured out the uh, breathing part of swimming. 
So you got a little, uh, you got a little Viking blood in you, hey? <laughs> yeah, you can tell, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not so really. then, all right. So you grow up in New York and move to Jersey, and and you're you're swimming, and and you're a musician at that stage. But that, how did you end up in Florida then? Um, you know, like a lot of people growing up in New Jersey, I just I just like I have to get out of New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I had some success in swimming, and I really had a breakout year in my junior year in high school, um, where I was ranked, you know, ninth in the country and thirteenth in the world in the two hundred fly. Oh. But you know, with that, you know, you know, I ended up taking liberties with my coach my senior year. You know, I, I felt like um, maybe a lot of athletes run into this, um, but I, um, you know, we had success, my coach and I, and. Um, and I kind of lost sight of our relationship. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've experienced this yourself, Brett, in your own swimming or as, as a coach. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I started taking advantage of that coach-athlete relationship. Mm -hmm. and, and he looked, you know, he started to treat me a little differently as well because I was, you know, swimming really fast. And, you know, I, I, you know, I bombed my senior year because really all I wanted to do was get out of New Jersey Mm. Which I love New Jersey. I moved back there, but at the time, um, I was just looking to get out and experience something different. And that's one of the reasons, actually, why I went to Florida. I, I almost went to Texas, and I was recruited by Eddie Reese as well. And I, I and I, you know, both Eddie and Randy were, you know, were the cutting edge of you know swimming coaching mm. at that time, and um, and, and and still are, uh, but um. At the time, they were really pushing the envelope. And but what I found that I needed at Florida was I needed someone who was going to kick my butt. Mm. You know, Eddie would have, but Eddie is just so nice, you know. Mm. And and I needed somebody that I was terrified of. Like I needed that relationship to motivate me. I, I didn't need a coach to pat me on my back. I knew I wouldn't respond well to that. And I think that's the, the, the cool part about swimming and coaching. I mean, you know better than I do that, you know, what it is, what is it that motivates each athlete? Because each athlete yeah. is motivated differently. That's interesting. I haven't, I haven't really spoken to too many swimmers who are recruited at the height of the, of the Reese brothers power. You know, you've got Eddie at Texas and, and and randy at florida so you're being recruited by these two brothers now that you know i know the stories of recruiting i know the, i know how cutthroat it can be too so so what were these brothers doing to recruit against each other at that time so so it's it's really interesting because eddie had just left your auburn. you know alma mater yeah. auburn yeah. and he went to texas and he was starting this new program he had this new pool and you know, and going to Texas for me was like, you know, was, you know, going to another country. It's very different, you know, for a kid from New Jersey. Mm. And uh, Florida felt a little more more comfortable with my vibe. And um, but both of them, you know, I, I saw what they were doing and what they were innovating with. And one of the things that I guess really attracted me to um, Florida um, was I knew I needed somebody like Randy. That I was, you know, you know. Listen, I'm still scared of Randy, right? <laughs> you know, so um, I, I really, I knew I needed a coach like that just from having that experience my senior year in, in uh, high school. But, um, but what really 
connected with me were, were my teammates, you know, and Eddie was just beginning to build a team. So he didn't really have all the pieces in place yet at Texas. Mm. And uh, so he was just starting worse. You know, Randy had already been at Florida for a few years and he already had developed a core group of swimmers, which I related to. And that was very important to me. And, you know, to me, I, I, ultimately, you know, I think you need a great coach. And, you know, I'm sure you have an opinion on this as well, Brett. But but for me, I relied so much on my teammates to push me. And oh, I pushed yeah. them as well. Yeah. Where, um, you know, where we had the same goals in mind. And it was really up to us to continue to just, you know, lay it out there every single day. What about in terms of uh, negatively recruiting against each other? Did they have any bad things to say about no, each other? No, no. And that's what I really liked about both of them is mm. they supported one another wholeheartedly, 100%. Really? Oh, wow. I know they shared information with each other. That, mm. you, know, they, they, you know what? They both really cared about swimming and their swimmers that was yeah. you might not always see that with randy but uh, but but underneath it all he, he he did and he does so i you know they shared information they just wanted to get swimmers to swim as fast as possible so every you know every year one of the highlights of my collegiate swimming seasons was we would have a a, a dual meet with texas mm. and it was great i mean it was really one of the highlights of my swimming career always is to, you know, either go to Texas and, and we usually went to Texas and um, it was, it was just, it was a great rivalry at the time because it was just, you know, it was good. There was nothing, yeah. nothing mean about it. Nothing aggro, aggressive. Everything was just, Hey, let's just swim as fast as we can. And, and, you know, we, I would, Go, you know, on the pool deck, you know, Eddie and Randy would be sitting, standing, chatting side by side. You know, they mm. were on opposite ends of the pool. So yeah, that's nice. if anything, I became a better swimmer because of their relationship. Right. Okay. Awesome. Now, who was the who was the team to be? Who was the winning team back then in the early eighties? You're you're at Florida. Did you guys were you winning then? No, we were like so close. So <laughs> I'll, I'll just say my probably biggest regret in swimming um, is that I was never part of a uh, NC2A national championship team. Right. right. Un un unlike you. And, and, I mean, we are close. We are third three years in a row and oh. we are fifth my senior year. And um, that to me, I mean, meant so much to me to, you know, to have won this as a team. And at the time it was Cal Berkeley. Oh, go back then with North Thornton coaching mm. and you had, you know, uh, Graham Smith, right? You remember the great, you know, ca you know, uh, Canadian, um, um, breaststroker, I am her, you know, yeah, Par oh. Artinson. I mean, you had, you know, so many great swimmers at Cal at the time. Mm. And, um, but, you know, we were close, you know. Just never oh, happened. So it was Cal, Texas. Man, that sounds familiar. It sounds uh nothing's changed. Yeah. You know, the thing that I guess was kind of interesting is back in the day, there wasn't a whole lot of like compliance stuff like there is now. Right? <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. So, you know, I stuck around um, you know, for the next couple of years through it, even though I graduated, 
Mm. And I trained with the college team because I was trained for 84. And um, those next two years after I graduated, they won the NC2A title. Back <laughs> Thanks, Russ. Yeah, it was. And I'd like to think maybe I had a little part of that, you know, in helping yeah. recruiting and training with them. But, you know, cool. Yeah, cool. Happy for them, but you know, is this this one year removed? Yeah, no. Listen, when you have when you have some elite kind of uh, you know older ex graduates hanging around the program, you know, like a Caleb Dressel these days is having an influence on Florida swimming. No, no doubt about it, right? Like people want to go there and swim with Caleb. I'm sure it was very similar to to you. You know, you're the name. You're there. People want to come train with you. Uh, let's go back a little bit then, but what, what did you walk into? You know, like back then my, my idea of training is kind of survival of the fittest and, and knowing Randy Reese too, like it was, it wasn't a walk in the park back then. So you guys are putting in work. <laughs> There's no doubt, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, I mean, I was lucky enough to come from a, a really good program in New Jersey. Frank McElroy was my coach. Right. Uh, it's it's uh, was called Dolphin Aquatics and kind of merged like with everyone else, merging teams, New Jersey wave now. But, but you know, we were part of this whole era of, you know, more yardage is better, mm. you know. And I, I have to share a funny story with that because, uh, you know, I mean, Frank and I still talk often and uh, he had told me that back in the mid-70s, he read a, a, a Swimming World article, mm. and on the cover was Mission Viejo and Mark Schubert, and it talked about the animal lane, and it talked about all the yardage they were doing, and and Frank said, I didn't know it was possible to do this amount of work, so guess what? We started doing that. We started doing 10,000-yard workouts, and you know, eight one thousands and you know, twenty four hundreds and whatever. You know, it was insane. But and many years later, I saw Mark Schubert at an event, and and I told him that story, and I said, so I just want to thank you, Mark, for for that article, right? You know, and his response was very Mark Schubert, like he goes. Well, you swam well, didn't you? So, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah uh, thank me, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so I was part of that group where they were really kind of testing us to see how much we can do. Like the word recovery yeah. was part of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, nutrition, obviously nothing was like that. It was just how many yards can we get in? And, you know, and if you're not, if you can't make the interval, you're not swimming hard enough. Right. right? And, um, and at, when I, but, but that prepared me to go to Florida, oh. right? And I wasn't scared of doing that amount of work. I mean, there were some kids, kids, you know, they're my, my age in my class who had come in that I knew that came from a different sort of background. And yeah. I know they struggled, you know, when yeah. you go to a program that's very different than what you come from. Um, well, what, what do you think physically it was about you that you were able to handle that type of work then? You could just take the punishment? Uh, you know, that, that's part of it. Part of it's a, a big part of it's mental, right? Just being able right. to block it out and know that you can do it, right? right. And, and, and the other part is, um, again, I was used to it, right? You know, uh, the thing that, that I think was a little revolutionary with both Randy and Eddie was, we started addressing the whole kind of anaerobic sprint training um, idea as well. Mm. So 
you know, now it's not at all what it is now, right? You know, but, you know, but we started doing more race-paced stuff, whereas, you know, back in the day, very few people did anything race-paced. Right. right. So, you know, they were just beginning to think about, hey, you know, how do we swim faster, you know, and how do we have better quality? Quality. Quality was a big term back then with Randy and Eddie's program. And, it, you know, might not, you know, when you look at the way we worked out, you just kind of go, oh, that's not quality. But it was for back then. And, and on top of that, we did really revolutionary things. Randy and Eddie, you know, we both they both knew that swimming could absolutely be the most boring thing in the world. Right. So they were already experimenting and trying to do things to keep it more interesting besides, you know, really a dedicated dry land program. You know, every summer, once a week, we would drive 20 miles to Itchituckney Springs. And you might have heard of this, right? And we would jump in the, the, the this naturally fed spring that was 70 degrees. And oh. Randy would hop in his canoe with the other coaches and we would swim up the current. And would oh. take us like three hours and, you know, there'd be snakes and turtles and fish. And <laughs> funny, the funny part was there are actually people tubing down river, you know, and they look at us swimming up against the current. And it would take us like 25 minutes to swim down. We did that once a week, every, you know, every week in the summer. Actually, in the late 70s, both Rainy and Eddie were already toying around with the idea of uh, how we are faster underwater. So... You know, in uh, 79, and uh, we had already, you know, we were taking surgical bands, tubing, and stretching it out the width of the pool, you know, under the backstroke flags, hanging it like, you know, two to three feet deep, and we'd swim over it and flip it, you know, and flutter kick to try mm. to get out underneath the, the surgical tubing. Mm. And we, you know, and people were getting hang up, hung up on it, and it was just delaying practice, and Randy would get really mad and pissed. So that was that, and it just ended. But, you know, we were, like, this close to, like, hey, what if you kick butterfly? Or what if we do something different, right? Uh, but yeah. it never got to that point, right? But, but, but the foundation for everything else was already being laid out, right? Yeah. You know, everybody's doing, you know, buckets today and all these sort of things. Yeah. You know, Eddie and Randy, you know, they I believe, you know, I could be wrong here, but, you know, we were one of the first people to do it, you know. And we used to have yeah. to make, we used to have to make everything ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. you know, take milk crates and tie rope and put the pulleys in and, right. and then, you know, we were dropping just weights into the milk crates. And, you know, then eventually Randy, you know, had us using snorkels, you oh. know, and, and, oh. Yeah, and then you know, but they had like a like a pencil width little hole in it, so we were always like, <laughs> it was brutal. <laughs> um, but but they also made mistakes. Like what you know, like well for me, like we used to do something called heavy hands three times a week, where I take you know fifteen pound, you know, um, handheld weights, and we run two miles around the football field, and that crushed me. You know, that didn't help me one bit. You know, and that just tightened. This was before practice, right? So there were times, you, you know. So there were times when I think um, we experimented a lot and it worked. And there were other times when you know, it really didn't. But they were never scared to kind of try new things because that's how you get better. We individualize training in the pool. So why not individualize your nutrition? Erica Barney of Barney Wellness Building will help you and your swimmers get exactly what each athlete needs through genetic testing and personalized nutrition plans.
So stop guessing what you should and shouldn't be putting into your body. Athletes within a few weeks have noticed they're recovering faster because they're fueling their body with what they need and staying away from what their body hates. Erica understands swimming. She gets it. She's worked with over 20 Olympians, including the fastest man in the world, Caleb Dressel. Group discounts are available, so go to Biney Wellness Building and get in touch with Erica today. That's Biney, B-E-I-N-E, wellnessbuilding.net. Well, listen, it sounds crazy, but even even my early days coaching back in 2006 to kind of 2009 was very experimental. You know, I was experimenting with with speeds and power and, you know, how, how do we get faster from point A to point B in a short amount of time? And so a lot of that was experimental for me, even though the foundation had been laid by many coaches before me, even, even the work that I had done. But like, I don't think any great coach is really world renowned unless they're experimenting. You know, you, you're not just doing what everybody else is doing. And, and certainly everybody knows, uh, you know, Eddie's history for sure. And then, and then Randy less so for whatever reason, but, but the people that know, know, you know, so it's like, you know, uh, Randy was doing stuff um, early on that has revolutionized swimming and, it, and even just created thought of like, okay, like you just said, like that worked, but that didn't work. Let's not do that again. Let's do more of that. And let's, let's kind of go down that direction. So, I mean, these guys are the godfathers in terms of, uh, you know, where we are today. So a lot, a lot of thanks to be given to them. And, and maybe they put you through some punishment that has helped me become a better coach. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you had to go through some therapy to get to, to me to become a better coach, but I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. It was, you know, what every day, you know, again, it's, it's not easy. Right. And if you think it's going to be easy, you're, right. you're approaching it with the wrong attitude. Right. 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 You know, there, there, there are obstacles that are put into place and, um, and, and again, I relied a lot on my teammates because, you know, when, when you kind of suffer together, it kind of diffuses it and right. you can share it, it in the good stuff as well. Now, as a, as a 200 butterfly regarded as one of the toughest events on the schedule, um, you must have been doing a lot of butterfly in training. Do you remember any particular workouts that we do? And even even with the, uh, the advent of this uh, new race pace type theory of training like do you remember some stuff that you did in order to to build up your uh, race endurance in any way for the 200 fly yeah sure absolutely i think that's a really good question because you know i i was the distance swimmer also distance freestyler i mean look i have no natural speed like mm. one. and it, it just it would take me a, you know a hundred just to kind of get going so um but one of the, uh, I did a lot of, you know, I would rotate between distance workouts, uh, which really helped me aerobically for a 200 fly. But, um, but you know, on stroke days, I just did a ton of, a ton of fly, but not long distance fly. Mm. Like one of my favorite sets, and, uh, and I think it was very beneficial to my swimming was, you know, I would do, you know, like say three sets of 850s fly, right? And the first set of 850s would kind of be, you know, on maybe a medium, you know, interval. And I would just hold, you know, a couple seconds off of race pace, mm -hmm. right? And just maintain that and get, you know, work on my rhythm at a fast, but controllable pace. Right. Take a break, then I do eight more 50s fly, you know, on a longer interval, holding race pace. Mm. 
And then I might do you know, like maybe six or eight more after another break, you know, faster than race pace. So the point was to get me to, you know, repeat well at, at intervals where I kind of knew how fast I was going and mm. I could still hold my stroke. You know, I, I wasn't one of those swimmers. I mean, listen, I probably, if they had a three or 400 yard or meter, 200 fly, I probably would have been better at that. Mm. But, um, but, um, but, you know, I, mean, I think this is one reason also part of why I had success was I never had any injuries, right? And you, hear, you see this all the time, great swimmers, and they just, you know, you know, you, you hear about all these injuries and it's just, you know, it's terrible. And I think we are always concerned about like not overdoing something, uh, especially with a stroke where you can get injured. I mean, even like when we were training in the season, you know, we always started our college season, you know, getting in great physical shape first before we started getting into any sort of swimming shape just to try to prevent injuries. Right. So, yeah. I, so I think I was, you know, I think that's a big part of it is just not getting hurt. And I think those shorter rest, those intervals where I could recover and actually hold my pace. Yeah. And, again, and the other, besides the physical part, it was also the, you know, like again, getting, you know, that internal clock going in your head. Like, um, I'm sure you guys have done this. You know, everybody visualizes the races. Right. right? right. And, and I used to do this all the time. And, uh, and I used to think no one else did it, you know, until many years later, I heard, you know, Michael Johnson, the great runner, you know, with the gold shoes did this. as yeah. well. And, but, you know, I would, you know, close my eyes and the gun would go off or, and then I would, you know, start a stopwatch and swim my 200 fly at the pace I wanted and then touch, you know, every stroke and I touched the wall and stopped the stopwatch. And I would usually be, you know, within a half a second of what time I thought I was going to be. Wow. Right? And I think that's, you know, a, a fun drill to do with kids, like with a 50, right? Because you're not, you know, to do a 200 would take too long. But uh, just, you know, close your eyes and have your body and brain go through your race and this, you know, go through your race and see how close to what, you know, yeah, really is. So, well, listen, we, we still do that to this day. So, I mean, even the set of 50s that you just talked about there, that's not far off what, what we would be doing these days. So, I mean, that was definitely cutting edge and, and it still continues to this day. I mean, that's a great set. I would certainly give them that. And I like the fact that you weren't doing longer distances fly. You're doing shorter distances closer to race pace and rhythm. So it makes a lot of sense. And I, I'm sure that's kind of what people are doing these days now. I did have the pleasure recently of talking to Mary T and, you know, she was a, a superstar around that time as well. And she seemed to be doing a little bit more of the longer fly in practice. Um, what was it like to be a, a, around when, when she was swimming and the, the, the buzz that she had at the time? Oh yeah. I mean, listen, I was so lucky, you know, to be part of this group because I was in awe of, of everyone. Uh, you know, I remember I did, try to do a workout with Mary T, you know, with Dennis personally, you know, a great yeah. coach. And, you know, and she was going to do like 10, 300s fly or something insane. And I, and I, you know, after like two, I was like, Denny, I can't do this, man. This is gonna <laughs> so, um, so you're saying uh, Mary T broke you mentally and physically. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, to this day, it just blows me away of what she accomplished. And, and more so, like, of who she is as a person. It's yeah. like I had the pleasure and, and you know, an and opportunity to also, you know, train with Tracy Calkins. 
Mm. And people, unfortunately, you know, kind of forget who she is, you know, I mean, um, you know, her time was in 1980. I mean, she could have won seven gold medals and left that legacy where everybody knew her, but, you know, she was denied that. But, you know, how Mary T trained and how Tracy trained and, you know, and I, you know, many of my trips were with Sippy Woodhead and Kim Lanahan, who were just light years ahead of everyone else. Um, mm. It was, a, you know what, it's, there was a work ethic that right. I think, um, I mean, today you, you have to have, you're still, right? There's no, yeah. like, you know, fooling yourself, right? I mean, yeah. you know, you have to be honest with yourself as an athlete, but um you know, I, I just, I, I feel like, you know, once you get to that level, like a Mary T, it, it's, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, how does she motivate herself to keep going faster? But I think, you know, you just, you get to this point where there's always ways to improve on everything. Like, like, like I'll tell you this. So after I, I broke the world record, maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but in 1980, mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, I got done, broke the world record at prelims, and I got out of the pool, and you know, everybody is, you know, you know, congratulating me, and and it was pretty exciting. And I, like every other swimmer, I went up and talked to my coach, you know, before and after the swim, and I went up to Randy, you know, kind of like, oh, Randy, you know, oh, I broke the world record, and the first thing he said to me was, "You blew your third turn. You should have been faster." <laughs> And I was like, um, okay, you know, and then I walked away and then he turned, I turned around, you know, I, I looked back and he turned around and smiled and then he said, good job. Yeah. <laughs> well, you wanted that, man. You signed up for that. You didn't want Eddie's softness. You wanted the hard Randy. Yeah, yeah <laughs> totally. So, but I think that's, you know, so that's the way he was. And he always, yeah. you know, listen, that's where you can learn a lot on not only yeah, your right. bad swims, but your good swims. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that then. So was this at the Olympic trials that you broke the world record? Yes. Okay. Olympic trials. So, so I'm trying to put it all in perspective myself. I was only five years old at the time. I was around, but I was only five. But um, so from what I understand, uh, Russia invade Afghanistan in 70, late 79. So is there, is there talk even before the Olympic trials that there could be a boycott? Not that I was aware of. And, and and I think, you know, it's so hard to imagine this back then, but, you know, now, right? There was no internet. You had, like, three TV channels. Mm. You know, you got your mail, you know, you know, and letters, and you, you know. So news traveled slowly. So no right. one really knew what was going on. And when the invasion happened, of course, and the Olympics were in, in Moscow, you know, the, the rumors started developing, right? And but also, you know, life, you know, was very different then, right? And 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 your people are kind of like unfortunately getting a little taste of it today. But you know, back then there was a Cold War, right? You know, it wasn't Russia; it was the Soviet Union, and there's a lot of stuff that was going on. Plus, you know, you had hostage situation. Plus, you know, interest rates were about like fifteen percent. You know, everyone's complaining today, like, oh my god, interest. I mean, it's all relative, but but things were tough. So. There was a lot more going on in the world then that that was you know could have really created some stability issues. Right. So, so, but for us, you know, I mean, news. I mean, we were. I think we were the last ones to know anything. 
So you're in your bubble and you go to the Olympic trials, you're you're in phenomenal shape, you break the world record faster than anyone swam in in any, any, no one's close to you basically. When do you find out, like how you get named to the US Olympic team, you must be super excited, like you're going to your first Olympics. When does the news actually come down on you that, hey, we're not going? So the news is actually before trials. So so it happened earlier, you know, I think, I don't know the exact dates, you know, it might have been January. But I, I remember there was a lot of rumors and everyone's like, no, nah, never, it'll never happen. And then the rumors keep going. And then you think, well, uh, you know, maybe. And then, you know, and when it finally came down, uh, Randy, had we were in the middle of our college season. Mm. And Randy called a meeting and he just said, I want to let you know that there's, you know, they're going to boycott. And I mean, we were flabbergasted. We just didn't believe it. There's like, there's no way. Why would they do that? Right. And um, that was, that was the way it was. And Randy reminded us, listen, I, this is devastating news for a lot of you. We still have a college season to finish. We have conference, we have NCAAs. Let's focus on that. Once we get through that, you know, if you want, if we, you can, we can sit down each of, you know, you can sit down with me individually and we can talk about what you want to do, right? Because I know a, a lot of my friends and some people just said, that's it. I'm done. What's the point? Mm. For me, I think I was in a more enviable position than some other people because I still felt like I had something to prove, right? I wasn't at that level yet, Right. You know, I was training with great swimmers. I was surrounded. I knew great swimmers, but I wasn't there. And I still felt like I had something to prove to myself, right? Mm-hmm. That, that um, So I wasn't going to, I mean, let that kind of, you know, throw me off the track. Well, that must have been tough, though. I mean... I know what it's like at the end of a college season. It's like it's it's party time. You guys have just been working your butts, and you're swimming for Randy Reese. So you you want to let your hair down a little bit, you know, with your buddies. And they're not as serious as you, but you're in a situation, and and they're telling you you're not going to the Olympics. So you, there must have been part of you at some point who's like, ah, you know what? Screw it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna take off here. I'm gonna I'm gonna party. I'm gonna have some fun. Like, how do you stay focused and serious during that period of time, man? That must be super difficult it, it, it was hard it was hard you know and, and and again i had to you know rely you know a lot you know on my teammates my family you know on the coaches just to kind of you know keep us focused but for me again i think i probably had it a little easier than some of the other you know swimmers that i named earlier who were already at the pinnacle of the sport right you know it was probably i know it had to be much more devastating for them and for me, uh, for me, I was the pinnacle of the sport, man. You're a world record holder now. Oh, not at that time. Not at that time. But I did. Yeah. Um, but what? But but I think you know. And I, people used to ask me like, "Wow, well, why don't you try to just go anyway?" And what about Anita de France? You know, who was trying to push through this whole thing where we could go and. Oh, that was a thing. Like you could have possibly gone if you wanted to. No, and we couldn't. They tried. No. 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 It, they were going to pull our visas. There's no yeah. way we could. And again, I didn't even know who Anita de France was and who mm. all these people were until like six months later, right? You know? Right. right. Well, and, and, but as you know, like when you're like 
doing anything doesn't have to be swimming, right? But anything to that level, you have to be just like, you know, 100% committed, right? Not 99% committed. Right. 100% isn't 100%, right? So for me, I just, I made a decision. I'm going to go and focus on that. And I was swimming really well. So I, mm. I did have a lot of momentum going. So I didn't want to just like throw that out, you know, out the window. So, but so, you know, I think um, it was harder for some uh, some of the other swimmers than it was for me to coping with it. You know, I was just like a, you know, dumb 19 year old kid, you know, mm -hmm. you know, with not a whole lot of experience behind me, but I was swimming fast. So I really, yeah. for me, I just really wanted to know like how fast could I go? Gotcha. Yeah. Well, you proved that you went and smashed the world record and, uh, and the time that you did, you know, just weeks earlier would have won the gold medal by over a second from what I understand. So like when you're, were you actually sitting at home watching the 200 fly on the TV at the time? No, no, no. no? It's like, I, I, you know, I think that was one of the things that I think was kind of, you know, ingrained in me is just like, look, I have to swim my own race, right? You have to do my own thing. And uh, so it doesn't matter what anyone else does, right? Um, I know what I need to do. And um, and that's what made actually that whole meet interesting because, you know, like breaking the world record, you know, that afternoon um, at prelims, you know, I still had to come back at night and finally, you know, and make the team. Mm. So there was a whole other level of pressure on me that night, you know, because at night you're racing. So, uh, so it was, it was a relief to me. <laughs> I mean, like, but, but in, in 80, uh, did you watch the Olympics? Did you, did you get a chance to watch the 200 fly go at the Olympics? I, I watched bits here and there, but you know what? Since I couldn't be there, I wasn't going to, I mean, I knew what the time was. I knew what they did, uh, but, you know, I wasn't going to let, you know, that wasn't really on my radar. I was just... I knew I had a meet to go to and I knew I wanted to really focus on my swim and nothing else. Swim Angelfish. Swim Angelfish is an online certification program that strengthens your teaching curriculum to serve swimmers of all abilities. Swim Angelfish will prepare you and your instructors with the skills to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions, and more. Learn to teach skills faster and with more comfort with Swim Angelfish. Apply for an only alpha pool product scholarship and receive up to 50% off your certification. Go to swimangelfish.com today to apply. At what, what point in your life do you think that it hit you the hardest? Like maybe not right then and there. Like was there a point in your lifetime throughout your life where you can look back and you're like, yeah, it really got me then, you know, like I'm not an Olympic gold medalist. Like you could have been, you know? Yeah. And boy, you know, we're going to have to have another like podcasting about that. because That's something that I think the whole, the whole boycott thing is, is, is a very, very deep convoluted discussion. You know, there's so many different aspects of it for me, you know, probably like a lot of people at the time, and I'm a kid, I'm like, okay, the government says this, we should do this, this is the right thing. Okay, I support it, right? But you know, over time, you know, when you realize that nothing, you know, positive came from it, you know, and then in 1984, you know, the Eastern Bloc countries retaliated and they boycotted our Olympics, right? 
So nothing good comes from that. And, and, and of course, you know, we were amateurs. So at that time, you know, it was very easy to say the athletes aren't going to go because there was no money, right? They're not billions of dollars worth of TV rights or endorsements, sponsorships or anything, right? You know what I mean? No one got a penny. So uh, it was easy to just kind of move us around as pieces on a chessboard. So um, over time, I, I you know, it, it began to bother me more. But, you know, I, I had to kind of come to terms with it, you know, and I didn't want it to like eat away at me forever. And I, you know, I put it into perspective pretty early. Um, and I just, you know, I realized, listen, you know, it's one of the lessons and there are lessons that you can always learn from everything. And one of the lessons I learned from that was, you know, sometimes you do everything you need to do. And sometimes things are just out of your control, no matter what you do. And this was one of them. And, and I, and I realized, you know, at the end of the day, you know, this is still just sports. It's not like, you know, I'm a firefighter going in risking my life to pull people out or I'm at a war or I'm a police officer, you know. I mean, you know, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's still just sports and they're bigger issues always. And um, again, I think it was a lost opportunity because I think, you know, a venue like the Olympics and sports are, are, are one of the you know, great disciplines out there, like, you know, music, when we talk about music, that transcend geopolitical boundaries, right? You can find common ground with other people through sports, right? Yeah. It's competitive, but like, I can't tell you how many times I've gone out after meets and gone, gone drinking with the Russians or, you know, you know, it's just, you find that you have a lot more in common than you don't. Yeah. And that's the beauty, I think, of sports. And that was a lost opportunity. So, so for me, I think I put into perspective early, you know, on what it really meant. Um, I think the bigger issue with all of us who are part of that team and who and didn't make another team was, you know, we kind of really don't really know our identity because, you know, yeah. the IOC doesn't recognize this. The USC does. We didn't really get to go. I went to other meets, you know, I went to world championships and mm -hmm. you know, Pan Am games and all these other meets, but you don't, you know, there's, we're kind of lost and, you know, and I feel like, you know, there, you know, we're kind of always feel like we have to kind of defend ourselves for something that we didn't choose to do, but it was just, was kind of like, you know, what happened? Yeah, no, it's a tough situation, man. And and you're right. We could talk about this for hours. We could probably bring in all, all different types of opinions too, of people that were affected differently, you know, and, um, and and that's the thing. Everybody's going to be affected differently. You you you've got your point of view on it and how you took it. Um, it's funny. Like I'm watching this show on Netflix right now. Uh, I just turned it on last night. It's called All Quiet on the Western Front, and it's actually from the German perspective, where some of these German athletes, you know, young German guys, are going in and thinking like, "Yeah, we're going to war," and then and then all of a sudden they end up on the Western Front, and uh, you know, and, and they're in the trenches, and it's like. And you get in the German perspective. I've always grown up with the with the you know the Australian, the French, the kind of a you know American that that kind of perspective. But then like you, you see it from the German side. So like you know in this day and age, there's there's a war going on, and there are athletes that are being affected the same way. Like these Russian athletes right now are kind of being railroaded in a way. And and look, there's arguments, there could be arguments on both sides, but no one's going to be able to relate to them more than someone like you, right? Like someone who's actually gone through that. So 
I mean, you have some incredible Russian athletes who uh, who who are just being, uh, you know, treated treated however they're being treated right now. But they're not getting a chance to swim internationally. How? What, what's your thoughts on those guys right now? Yeah, think? and that, that's unfortunate. You know, I think, you know, I, I know there are some differences today than there were when we were. Like, you know, we didn't get yeah. to go and that was it. And all the other, what was it, 63 or 64 other countries didn't participate as well. Yeah. And, you know, you know, now, well, you know, if, if you're not on a banned list, you know, for, for, for substance abuse or anything else, yeah. you, know, you can compete under the Olympic flag. And that's one of the, the, the results of what happened in the boycott, right? Yeah, right? Right. So, like, maybe your country isn't allowed to go, mm. but, you know, you can still go and compete as an athlete, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm glad that there's that option, you know. And again, you know, even... Like everyone wants to compete, right? Like Sergei Fasenko, who won the gold in 1980, you know, we're friends. You know, we don't hate each other. You know, I respect him. I, I have the utmost respect for him. And, he, and he's a friend. And I, I know that Sergei would want nothing more than to have had the opportunity to swim against me. Right. And even this was what was mentioned when John O'Seban was inducted into the Swimming Hall of Fame last month. You know, you know he said, I you know, wish you stuck around a little longer, Craig, so we can compete against each other. I mean, that's what we want. Right. Yeah. We, we all make each other better. And it's 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 the beauty of the sport. Right. And, and so when you're, you're denied that opportunity, it just only just doesn't affect us or. You know, it doesn't like you know it affects my parents, my community, my coach, everyone else, but it also affects everyone else who did have the opportunity to compete because I'm sure there are times when they think about you know like oh you know so and so wasn't there and it you know maybe they second guess themselves and that's not right either. Yeah, it's so hard to get involved when the when there's war involved too, you know, and people yeah. are dying and it's just, it's just it, you know I've got I got friends on U Ukraine side as well right now. It's like man, it's, it's I can't have an opinion. I'm living over here in in America. I'm 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 waking up, having coffee in the morning. I'm relaxed. I'm good. You know, like I got nothing to complain about. They're over there at war, and so it's. Yeah. it's I don't even want to get in the middle of that. What I do feel for is just anyone that is a world class swimmer who just doesn't have the chance to compete. I mean, uh, it just it just doesn't yeah. feel right in that sense. But um, yeah. no, and I agree. And and again, you know, again, I mean, the the person that I relate to, I feel like a lot is Jaunty Skinner. If you remember Jaunty, you know, because he was South African. Right. And he that's that, that's just where he was. And, you know, he came here to train and, you know, actually in New Jersey, you know, at Central Jersey, I had a team down the road from us. And, you know, and that summer in 76, you know, he was denied the opportunity to compete because South Africa wasn't, you know, because of apartheid. You know, no one else did that, but you know. But the IOC didn't recognize South Africa, so he was denied the uh, opportunity to swim. And you know that year, Jim Montgomery won the gold medal. But you know, John T went to our nationals and set the world record. You know, yeah. yeah. So you know, and then John T became a, you know a great coach and a great you know um, you know influence on the sport of swimming as well. But you know, again, you, you just again, you're absolutely right. You don't want to see that. You don't want to see politics get involved with athletes. It always. It always will, right? I mean, it always will. It's just how do you mitigate it and how do you keep it to the absolute minimum? Yeah. Well, I mean, John T went to Alabama, so maybe he does deserve it. Instead. <laughs> 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 I'm kidding, John T. I love you, all right? <laughs>
Um, well, listen, and then, you know, like you, you're at your peak for three years here. And then, I mean, the heartbreaking story in some of this is that you go to the Olympic trials in 84 and miss the team by basically 0.3 of a second in the 200 fly, you know, like uh, that, that's just, it seems devastating to a lot of people for you to be at your peak like that. And then, and then go and miss your next chance, you know? Yeah. And that was hard, you know, and um, it put a lot of things into perspective. And I think part of it with me was, you know, the boycott was so difficult on so many levels and, you know, there weren't professional swimming, you know, we didn't make any money. There was just, there was nothing. You were just kind of like, kind of stumbling through it, kind of figuring it out, you know, uh, you know, on your own terms. And um, I think by 84, I was just like, just burned out. I had so many friends yeah. who were already working and moving on with their lives, you know, and I kept that, you know, I would ask myself, why am I still doing this? I think I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. You know, I, I felt like I owed him to Randy and my teammates and, my parents and I think the last person I was really thinking about was maybe myself, but, but, you know, it is, it is the beauty of sports and I wouldn't want it any other way. I would hate for it to be political where it could, because some places are like that. We're like, Oh, Craig was two seconds slower, but you know, since he was fast we'll put him on the team and, you know, bump Patrick Kennedy off who took second. And, and listen, Patrick Kennedy deserved to be on the team and he swam great. He was my teammate and it was many years later that I, and I didn't realize this, but Pat told me, he goes, you know, he felt horrible, right? And he mm -hmm. felt like it wasn't fair that he made the team and he felt guilt that he made it and I didn't. Oh, wow. I had no idea. And I never thought of it from that perspective. Mm. But but there is so much stuff that goes, you know, into into this at so many different, you know, levels. And, um, and obviously, you know, I, told Pat no not at all you know he deserved to be on it and he earned the right to be on it and so but you know what if anything it's like a lot of swimmers it kind of you know made me realize there was more to life than swimming and it kind of forced me to kind of rethink who um I was at the time and probably like I don't know if you were like this Brett but like when I got done and I was like I don't want to be known as a swimmer I want to no. go on another path no. I figure out another way. Not that I'm going to give give up swimming because I always kind of stayed involved with swimming through Swim Across America, the yeah. nonprofit, but in a different way because swimming meant so much to me. But, you know, I, there's a time to move on. And I think, you know, this is what's hard with the current state of swimming right now. Um, this is just my opinion, is this, you know, there are all these things in place, for lack of a better word, that keeps people swimming, right? You know, when I was 23 years old and I was swimming with people like, oh my God, you're so old. What are you doing in the pool? So 23, right? That's, I mean, you should be already out and beyond the sport. Yeah. And I think what's, hap what's happened is everybody sticks around longer. Now you can do clinics. Now you can get endorsements. Now you can do this meet. You can do a pro circuit. You do this. And the next thing you know, rather than trying to figure out who you actually are as a person beyond a swimmer, right? Because there's more to you than just swimming, you know, um, you've postponed that growth and now you're 30 years old. Yeah. You still don't really know who you are as a person, right? And, yeah. that's, and that's hard. And I think it's harder to move on to the next stage of your life when you're in your 30s 
than say when you're in your early 20s. And yeah. you know, I, I don't have an answer for that. Maybe you know more mentorship and maybe give you know, these swimmers who are, are sticking around more exposure and internships so they can kind of get some real life training so they can decide, oh, you know what? I, I kind of think I'm going to be good at this. Yeah. Or maybe, yeah. you know, I want to stay in the sport because I, I want to give back to the sport through coaching. And believe, I mean, listen, I coached for a little while when I was going through that whole phase. And I have to tell you, coaching was the hardest thing I ever mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Coaches don't get the respect yeah. that they, you know, all should, all of them. Yeah. Coaching's tough, you're right, but you make a good point in terms of like the transition into life. And I know a lot of athletes that are struggling with it. So there is this, there's this pull of like not finishing too early and then not finishing too late, you know? So there's definitely, definitely a balance. Uh, it's great that swimming is becoming more professional, but right. we certainly don't want to get to a point where, you know, you prolong your life so much that it's impossible to, to go back and get any sort of training. You, you know, you're starting from scratch at the age of 35 to 40 type thing. It's, it can be real tough. And, um, and that's the decision I made at the age of 31. I was like, that's enough. Like I wasn't injured. I was at my peak. I was making Olympic teams. I was doing everything. I was one of the fastest swimmers in the world. But at that point, I was starting to travel the world with 16, 17 year old boys and girls. And I'm like, that this isn't fun anymore. Like, you know, so it was fun to move on. But yeah, I know people that are stuck in that realm. But um, but I will say this, I'm kind of glad that you didn't make the uh, 84 Olympics because you would have you may have taken away the chance of the greatest Olympic swim in history with John Sieben uh, <laughs> winning the gold medal. Mate, that that swim that I know I'm not I'm only joking, but that swim alone had such an impact on me as a person and then also Australia. I mean, that that swim is one of the greatest uh, in history without a doubt. And, uh, and I've, I've had the pleasure of having John o on this, on this podcast. And then you were uh, at, at the induction with him together this past, uh, this past month where you two were inducted together. So that that's cool that it came full circle that you guys got inducted into the international swimming hall of fame at the same time. Right? Yeah. You know what? I was really happy about that because he is, he is he is a special guy, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you though, eighty four. I did not watch that race for like mm. ten years because oh, wow. you know, wow. just you know, it's it's still weighed on me. And you know, yeah. even I was, you know, I moved ahead in my own life and career and everything else. It was just something that, you know, yeah. it was a, a raw kind of nerve. But but when I did finally watch it, it, it was, it was an amazing race. Yeah, yeah. That race. I mean, what that had a massive impact on me in terms of the way that he just swam over the top of Michael Gross. I think Pablo Morales too, just like yeah. swimming, over, swimming over the top of those guys. So look, you know, you, you, you have, you have people that have an impact uh, on your career. I'm sure you had, you had swimmers that you looked up to and uh, Jono was definitely one of those people for me. And then, and then uh, his teammate went on, uh, Duncan Armstrong went on, did the same thing in, in 88 to, uh, in the 200 freestyle. So, that, I mean, those two swims just had a massive impact on Australian swimming. And, and, and uh, so it was cool. But, uh, but man, listen, you, you've got an incredible story and you, you had a huge impact on swimming. And uh, I'm glad you got inducted in the Hall of Fame. You, you thoroughly deserved it now tell me tell me about swim across america because this thing is uh this thing is is massive mate oh well, well, well thank you for for all of that brett you know and yeah and, uh, the um so so swim across america is actually kind of you know what really kept me involved with with swimming 
but from a different area. You know, we are a nonprofit and, you know, we make ways to fight cancer. We, we basically raise money for clinical trial cancer research. So, you know, I got involved in the very beginning because, you know, my mom had cancer while I was in high school and she had a radical double breast mastectomy there, you know, many times, you know, it was very scary and, you know, not knowing what was going on and it affected us. And it, it went parallel, you know, with my whole swimming career and she survived for many years, but she succumbed to a different sort of cancer years later. But when the two Two original guys, you know, Matt Foster and Jeff Keith started this and they reached out to me because they had heard that my mom was a cancer survivor. You know, it, it was a no brainer for me to get involved. Like here was an opportunity, opportunity for me to give something back to the sport and to swimming that meant so much to me. You know, it's not even competitive swimming, but it's the love of the water, right? Yeah. And, and to try to make a difference with, you know, from my background and my experiences. And, um, you know, today there are just, you know, a ton of different events and a ton of different things to do. Back then, there was really nothing going on. You know, late 80s, 87, 88, there was very few anything to do as a swimmer. And even back then, you know, when you are an Olympic alumni, alum, you know, that was like, thank you very much. See you later. Right. So, so, you know. I got involved early on and to the point where, you know, I, you know, swam, fundraised, you know, volunteered, sat on the national board, you know, I, I worked with them because, you know, you know, I had another career earlier on in my life. And then, uh, you know, we've raised over a hundred million dollars. Wow. So, right, yeah. Se you know, several drugs that you actually see out there that are being used, mm. numerous, you know, cancer treatments and especially immunotherapy. We were probably the initial fundraisers for it. So, oh. so you know, swimming, you know, in, in a figuratively sort of term, you know, yeah. swimming can cure cancer or find solutions because, yeah. you know, and, you know, I, we're very transparent. We have events around the world. I know Jono said he wants to do something in Australia. I don't know how we're going to do that, but, you know, <laughs> trip to, to down down to Oz in my future but uh, the, well, uh, if you gotta drag me with you man I'm yeah, coming yeah, but, you know, we're just trying to you know what we're trying to take our love of the water and make yeah. a difference and do something well and mm -hmm. we've had tons of Olympians get involved and uh, yeah and again you, you know if, if you know I just tell everybody get involved with something it doesn't have to be with us but you know you, you know make, try to make a difference in your community and, and the people around you you know, it's in, and um, I think that's important. Well, um, you've you've clearly made a difference. So raising over a hundred million dollars with was from across America is, is phenomenal. But I'll tell you this: uh, apart from all the, the the world records you broke, and you know the times you swam, and things like that, when you get inducted into the International Swimming Hall of Fame, I think your legacy is this: when when the whole of the 1980 Olympic team turns up to celebrate you. That, that's your legacy, man. That's who you are. So you, you're you definitely loved in the swimming world. You, you know, all of your teammates love you and you made a huge impact. So you should be really proud of that, you know? Well, well, well thank you. Thank you. I mean, it's, yeah, it was, it was very, a very emotional few days and it meant a lot to me that I was able to, to share that with everyone. And, you know, and our team, you know, again, we have a very unique, unique bond, you know, and, um, but, but again, I, I think that's indicative of the whole swimming community, right? That that's the beauty of it. Like I always find it when I go out and if I talk to, you know, 
a kid who's swimming or, or a master swimmer in their 80s who's swimming or someone else in a different country, you know, there's there's an instant connection, right? You see this yeah. all the time, right? It doesn't matter how old you are, what country, what background you come from. You know, swimming pulls us all together. And it's it's just, you know, it's just a beautiful thing. Yeah, for sure. Well, I appreciate you sharing your story, a part of your story at least. Anyway, I may have missed some out. I apologize, but uh, it's been fun getting to know your story a little bit. And thanks for sharing it today, okay? Well, well, thank you, Brett. I appreciate being on and keep up all the great stuff you're doing. Thank you so much. Thanks, Greg. All right, take care. Okay, bye. bye.